As we begin 2023, here's a New Year's resolution you can actually keep. Eat more chocolate. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function. So I searched high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. I'm thrilled to found Flava Naturals. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. Flava Naturals is a New Year's resolution you'll actually keep. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you can also check out the latest research, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. Plus, get great recipes at flavanaturals.com. Flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I think it's uh, an important podcast because uh, we often talk about nutrition, nutrition options, uh, you know, organic food, the most exquisite diet, uh, supplements, uh, which tend to be expensive, uh, exercise, uh, which uh, is uh, not necessarily uh, accessible to vast segments of the population. Uh, we're sort of seeing a tale of two cities, uh, not just from the standpoint of income, uh, but also from the standpoint of health. Health disparities are increasing. And in large part, that is due to nutritional disparities. With us is someone who is a change agent on that front. She's Tambra Ray Stevenson. She was honored in 2014 as a nutrition hero by Food Nutrition Magazine. Uh, she is an inspiring speaker, nutrition justice advocate, and she is a consultant. Uh, she's been all over the media on uh, NBC. Uh, she's been written up in the Washington Post. Uh, she uh, has appeared on NBC Nightly News, spoken to the United States Library of Congress, U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Kellogg Foundation, Howard University, John Jay College, uh, and on and on and on. And uh, was selected as the 2014 finalist for National Geographic Traveler Magazine's Traveler of the Year for her passion of finding her roots in Niger and Nigeria uh, for the purpose of promoting the health of African heritage foods. Uh, she is now involved in an initiative called We Are Wanda. We're going to find out uh, what that is. And I could go on and on, but let's just get right to it. Uh, Tamber, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Look forward to the conversation. It's, it's my great pleasure. I might also mention that you are uh, a member of the American Nutrition Association. Uh, we're recently, uh, we met and had a great conversation about the work that you're doing. And are, are you also a CNS, a Certified Nutrition Specialist? Because I, I, maybe I don't have your latest bio. No, I my bachelor's is in human nutrition, pre-med, and master's in public health, um, and now pursuing my PhD in communication at American University. So I am... <clears throat> Credential, but in other means. Okay, great. I'm sure. But you, still eventually, to the fight. eventually, you may append those uh, additional letters to your uh, illustrious list of qualifications. Uh, so, uh, 
tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this, because from our conversation, it sounds like you come from a, a long line of uh, healers and you're very interested in uh, your ancestry and uh, how it relates to your current mission. Yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised in Oklahoma, fifth generation. I still have family members who are active cattlemen, ranchers, and cowboys um, in the eastern part of Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma City, um, where we had to study agriculture. It was a mandate in high school and be members of Future Farmers of America, uh, which is a sharp contrast of now living in Washington, D.C., raising uh, kids. Uh, in an urban environment where some may not even know where their meal came from. Uh, that was definitely not my situation where uh, we had plenty of goat farms, cattle, um, and then also I studied, you know, plants. So botany and also um, really got involved in understanding food, but it was not something that I always knew as a career option. It really took working with researchers um, every summer at different medical schools from um, UT Medical down in Houston to um, Baylor Med, um, UPenn, Harvard Public Health, and realizing there's a career um, in the science of nutrition beyond the home economics that most people think about, which we still need to bring that area back as well. Um, and so, though I didn't necessarily know at the time, I, you know, as a kid, the careers of my family members, you know, my grandmother on my dad's side spent 35 years as a pediatric and geriatric nurse at OU Medical. Um, and also, I realized, you know, my own brother was also went to school for nursing. Um, and my sister also works in healthcare um, in long term. And it was inevitable uh, for me. And I, having been someone who um, understood through just discovering your true path um, through yoga. I learned, you know, my path is to create and to heal. And it just happens to be through food, but also through art and just the idea of creating ideas that create sustainable impact and change, um, which is where the creation of Wanda came to be. And we're going to talk about uh, Wanda in a moment because it's an exciting project. Mm -hmm. But just to, to set the stage for the conversation, we're, we're really facing an enormous crisis, uh, as you may know, because it, it made the headlines in a lot of the papers uh, over the weekend. Uh, the American Association, I'm sorry, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP, just issued uh, an enormous tome, over 350 pages uh, entitled Clinical Practice Guidelines for the Evaluation and Treatment of Children and Adolescents with Obesity. And this is unprecedented uh, because uh, a lot of people are kind of zeroing in on it because it may open the floodgates for the acceptance of gastric bypass surgery uh, and the widespread use of drugs uh, for the treatment of overweight. The, the problem is so severe that 14.4 million American children and adolescents suffer from obesity. That's more than tripled from 5% in 1963 to 19% in 2017. And that's even before the pandemic. And we know that because of lockdowns uh, and boredom uh, that uh, and proximity to the refrigerator, <laughs> a lot of kids' waistlines have expanded. Um a dire prediction if the trend holds 57% of children will have obesity by the time they're 35. And the stark fact is that um, to some extent, th there's a heavier uh, predominance of this 
in underserved communities, in minority communities, uh, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans. uh, They're taking the brunt of this obesity epidemic, although by no means is it confined to those communities. Uh, You're trying to do something about that. Yeah, it's the historical um, policies um, such as redlining really created a division uh, where communities became segregated in terms of not having access to critical resources um, in the community that I call home now in Anacostia in Southeast Washington, DC, you have a population of the two wards combined over 140,000 residents yet in those communities, we only have, um, three full-size grocery stores that are now expanding with a, a little uh, now operational as well as independent um, grocers operating. Um, but it's a dent in comparison to um, having just crossed um, country through uh, Texas and Oklahoma visiting family. You'll have communities outside of Paris, Texas, that will have easily um, 10 grocery stores maybe a fourth of the population size is east of the river. And this is the dynamic that unfolds that even though you have access to food, what's the quality of that food? And and on top of that, the, the literacy and education of the food and the ability to grow your own food in terms of food sovereignty um, creates a dynamic that, you know, leads to creating an obesogenic environment where we are in essence in a food apartheid that's structurally created through um, policies that are now trying to be eradicated through my uh, role in the D.C. Food Policy Council and then having strong political will and leadership stepping up um, and doing uh, the course correction uh, of history. Indeed, uh, there is uh, a lot of inequity. There's there are food deserts. Uh, they predominate in in obviously poor communities and in minority communities, but there are parts of the United States where you can't, you know, virtually impossible to get access to uh, wholesome foods. Uh, dollar stores are doing great in this day and age because the food is cheap, processed, canned, frozen, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, easy to, to access. Um, the food stamp program uh, designed to offset starvation uh, may have... Uh, unintended consequences, because according to some studies, uh, the individuals who participate in, in, in the food stamp programs uh, may have higher incidence than matched individuals with the same income and, you know, same geographic location, educational level, who don't have access to food stamps. Food stamps allow for poor quality food, for soda, for, for you know, cookies, candy, and so on. I guess because I don't know, maybe they don't want to embarrass uh, recipients and say, "I'm sorry," at the at the checkout aisle, you can't, or the food at the cash register. I'm sorry, you can't buy this. Uh, that's part of the problem. Well, honestly, so the formal name of the food stamp program is SNAP, the Supplemental SNAP. Nutrition right. Assistance Program. That's uh, supported and operated through USDA that our taxpaying dollars pay for to help fill in the gaps to ensure that we have nutrition security for all in the country. And it really is an expression of food democracy where people uh, can have a participation in the food system in terms of making their own food choices. What complements SNAP that most may not know is the SNAP Ed program, which provides the nutrition education um, to low-income families through the cooperative extension services that I formerly was an extension agent. And so I'm very um, 
aware of that program and the positive impact that it can make um, in ensuring that people are making smart, healthy consumer decisions at the end of the day. No one wants to be, you know, dictated in the choices that they make for their families. Right. They're t- trying to stretch their dollars. Um, and it really is about how do you arm people with the right information. And one of my, you know, chief arguments when it comes to SNAP is that the model of education has been face-to-face small groups. But in the pandemic, we saw everyone was online and we have to have that technical digital component of making sure that SNAP educators are ready for the new um, new digital landscape where they're needing to access consumers online through their smartphones and devices to where they are making sure that they're helping today's consumer who is mobile-ready and tech-enabled and needs to have that information armed to make smarter, healthier decisions for themselves and their families. Here's an initiative that uh, caught my eye. Uh, the headline is school garden-based interventions can improve blood sugar and reduce bad cholesterol in children. And maybe you're aware of this program. It's at the UT Health, Houston School of Public Health, and University of Texas at Austin. They developed a program called Texas Sprouts. Uh, they published a study in Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. Uh, and what they found is that uh, by having uh, low-income elementary school kids in the greater Austin area, uh, it was a majority Hispanic population, uh, actually grow their own food uh, and then learn about food quality and prepare their own food. Uh, My theory, and and probably there's some buy-in from you, is that uh, we really need to educate uh, people's palates early because, you know, uh, as the song goes, uh, you know, uh, once you've seen, once you've uh, left the farm and gone to gay Paris, uh, the game is over. You know, it's uh, you've you've yeah. you've accumulated really bad I, eating I was, habits and bad cravings. Yeah, I was a garden nutrition educator for Harriet Tubman Elementary here in Washington D.C., and I will say that it was empowering to one teach the kids to have a sense of. Um, uh, humility and altruism when it comes to just reconnecting to the earth, to nature, um, because ultimately, as we know in the conversation around climate issues, um, we have to recognize that we have a symbiotic relationship with the planet um, as people. And when we do that, we ensure that we sustain not only ourselves, but the very, you know, earth that we need to exist. And so providing that level of intervention at a young age does have a huge impact over time when we think about the ability for children to make smart decisions for their lives, for their health, as well as career um you know, exposure ideas. Um, as someone who not only, you know, provided garden nutrition education, but received a degree and didn't even know nutrition was a field when I was a, a, a teenager, I really was hugely impacted. And I said, no matter what, even if I don't go into career of nutrition, I know that I'll be able to make smarter decisions for myself and for my future family and ultimately turn the tide of generational trauma um, and, and build a pathway to generational health, which is what I think we should all strive for and have the opportunity. We know that education alone is not the silver bullet, but if it's complemented with all the other key characteristics of social determinants of health and nutrition, then we can definitely make sure that we change what Time Magazine back in the day uh, under Obama said, that our children are to die before us. And so the numbers that you quoted with the Academy, uh, you know, only hark 
only calls us to that attention of is the clinical pathway the only way? Uh, ultimately, we need more sustainable solutions that are more preventive focused um, because we know that the lifestyle and the environment is grap- is changing rapidly compared to the genetic aspect of things. And so there's something to be said about our environment, our social, cultural, political media environment that is causing, you know, this obesity dynamic happening not only in our children, but our adults as well. And kudos to some uh, politicians like our Mayor Adams here in New York, who's emphasizing the benefits of a plant-based diet. And I'm not sure you have to go entirely vegan to appreciate those benefits. And by the way, you know, what? pardon me for massacring uh, the expression, uh, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen gay Paris? And it's for gay Paris, you can substitute uh, Pop-Tarts, breakfast cereals, and sugary snacks. Because once the palate becomes uh, accustomed to those things, uh, it, it's hard. The road back is tough. It's, it's a road back of, yeah. of denial and discipline rather than getting kids to appreciate the, the tastes of, of, you know, healthy foods early on and, and to have some buy in because they grew them. Most definitely. We know that when we are um, exposing our, you know, babies in utero uh, to these, you know, artificially colored sweetened foods, um, it definitely presets the palate to crave and desire uh, these food items. So it's that's why it's so critical when it comes to maternal child nutrition education uh, to inform mothers, provide them with programs like WIC, which is going through modernization under USDA, um, as well as just basic access to healthy, affordable foods um, for growing fetuses is critical uh, when we have this conversation about how do we, you know, change the palates and plates over time. Um, and so being able to encourage people to grow foods, many may not even realize that they can buy seeds um, through the SNAP program as well. Um, and so it's all about can you get, take pots Put them on your balcony if you don't have lawn in the background, backyard, to be able to do what you can and supplement and provide and just appreciate um, how food is grown and appreciate the work of farmers. So, sir, the exciting work you're involved in is through an organization called WANDA. It sounds vaguely like Wakanda. Was that uh, intentional? Uh, Women and Girls Advancing Nutrition, Dietetics, and Agriculture. It's an acronym. Yeah, we definitely have have receipts that Wanda was here before Wakanda. Okay. Um, we were operational, uh, yes, um, by 2016. But in 2015, I went to South Africa meeting with uh, nutritionists there to just talk about this idea of being able to build a bridge uh, of an organization that brings women and girls together, cross-cutting generations, geographies, and sectors, really being a silo smasher of recognizing our common core um, values and belief is that we want generational health and we can do that through the power of food and culture and really embracing our collective identity. And so Wanda is really situated on three key pillars, education, advocacy, innovation. How do we educate ourselves around our culture? Cultural foods can be our medicine, uh, which is going to be um, expressed in a, a recent feature piece that I'm doing for Eating Well magazine for Black History Month that will help to share uh, this story around not only my own personal journey, but bringing six um, African chefs and dietitians together around how we can see wellness through the African American heritage food. Um, and so 
we also advocate through policy changes recently provided um, policy uh, ideas to the U.S. Uh, to the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health that happened just back in September of last year and recognizing that we have to have a voice on the very um, policy issues that impact our communities. Um, and one of those policy ideas is creating a food bill of rights as a uniform framework to guide the future of food and nutrition policies to ensure that everyone has a seat at the table and to arm those who are in local food policy councils with a framework that they can use to advocate at the local level. Because right now, many Many cities around the country, from Oklahoma City to Dallas and beyond, do not have an established food policy council. And this mm. is a body of people who can advise their mayors, advise their politicians to say, how are we building a stronger, resilient food economy? And how are we ensuring that it's speaking to health and sustainability um, and ensuring that everyone has a seat at the table to build food businesses that actually uh, help and not hurt our communities? And so innovation is is the, the key and central ingredient that technology that your own unique values and and who you are in your culture provides that innovation in terms of ideas that can really be bold and impactful um, in our communities. And so we do that through our programs. We have the Wanda Scholarship that we established at Oklahoma State to fund education, to ensure that we have a uh, more diverse pipeline into the field of ag and nutrition, while also ensuring that we have an academy to educate women um, and we bring on students uh, to provide them with those experiences of food as medicine fellowships and helping to do white papers on food bill of rights, working with Howard University, their nutrition department, um, as well as acknowledging that we have to have a seat at the table of coalitions, whether it's from Tufts Food and Nutrition Innovation Council to the USDA NERI Advisory Board uh, to make sure that we speak with an intersectional lens um, on issues that impact communities that may not have a voice at the table. You know, I, I, you and I both attended uh, the recent uh, American Nutrition Association conference, and it, and it was well attended, and it was a great conference. I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, but just to look at the at the demographics of people who are uh, dietitians and registered uh, nutritionists and CNSs, and then of course there are the uh, the MDs and the physician assistants and you know nutritional chiropractors. There, the demographics reflect, frankly, that it's predominantly white, and we don't have enough representation uh, in minority communities. Uh, is and, and and that can make a difference because people who have a direct connection to these communities uh, can make a crucial difference for these communities. They live in the communities. Uh, they communicate more effectively with peers in the communities. Uh, is there initiative underway to improve that situation? Yeah, one of the recommendations that we put forth that was adopted by um, others in the room when I spoke at the Bipartisan Policy Center in D.C. Uh, last summer was the need to, one, have a loan repayment program for dietitians and nutritionists currently under the under HRSA, which is the um, Health Resources uh, Services Administration under HHS that I formerly worked 
uh, and in Washington, D.C., they cover uh, loan repayment for physicians, for nurses, for PAs. Um, obviously, student loan debt has been a hot topic over the last couple of years. And so when you think about health professionals who are heavily indebted, when you think about education at Tufts alone, uh, you have a situation where those who have been first-generation college students with financial hardship uh, really locked out of uh, middle-class paying jobs that can really not only change their lives, but change their communities because they have those who represent uh, them represent their communities living in their communities. And it's a known fact that if you educate um, people of color and the health professions, especially medicine, they're more than likely to go back to their own communities. And so you can link that. And, and that's what the HRSA program does, uh, the scholarship program. It links those um, who go through the program to medically under-resourced communities, uh, whether it's rural or inner city. And I think that is a great opportunity to not only help people pay off their debt, but make sure that we're filling the gap where there's a lack of representation in the health professionals in key areas in our country um, and ensuring that it's a win-win for everyone. So we continue to hope that more policies at the federal and local level can be pushed uh, to ensure that um, financial hardship should not block out opportunities for those that need to be in this field. Because as I love to say, that if we're in a war, in a food fight, we don't have enough troops on the ground. And just like we will provide a GI Bill to ensure mm -hmm. that we got people going over fighting in the name of democracy, we need to do the same here and fight for food democracy in our country. And, and that war analogy is very apropos because we're we're facing an unprecedented crisis and even a national security crisis because uh, in terms of recruiting for the military, uh, more and more potential military recruits are, are washing out because uh, they suffer from health problems. They don't meet the weight requirements. They don't meet the, the physical stamina requirements. Uh, and so <laughs> we as a nation uh, become weaker financially because of the drain on our finances of taking care of all these sick folks, uh, as well as uh, literally uh, protecting our our country. So, yes, that's an ap apropos analogy. We really are fighting a battle here. Uh, uh, before we break, uh, because we divide our podcast into two parts, uh, give people a heads up on uh, Wanda. Uh, where can they find out information about Wanda? And you know, perhaps they're listening to this and they're saying, "Hey, I want to get involved," or you know, "I want to see if I can get my community involved." Uh, maybe get some impact from Wanda on my community situation. Where where do they go? Yeah, they can go to IamWanda.org and also we're across all social media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at IamWandaORG. And to your last point, I would say the work of Wanda, we're a about getting women to see themselves as not only food heroes, but food freedom fighters on the front line in our communities. Because just like those who go to war, we need to be fit to fight for our food freedom. So that's what is the heart of what we do. All right. Great stuff. Okay, we're going to pause. And when we return, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your journey uh, and uh, what happened when you uh, sought to uh, discover your roots, uh, you know, involving uh, you know, a really fascinating uh, trip to Africa, uh, uncovering your uh, your background, your family's background, uh, and the impact that it's had on uh, how we can improve nutrition uh, here in the United States. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, today's guest is Tamber Ray Stevenson, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.